Hey guys, it's great to be with you. We uh, are uh, hitting the new year with quite some speed. We've been looking at a, a short series, Everyone a Witness. We've been looking at how we can live our faith, uh, preach our faith, how we can step out into what God brings uh, through words, works and wonders. If you want to hear some uh, more about that, I would advise you to go online and there's recordings for uh, all of those. And uh, we've seen some really exciting things uh, on the back of that. And uh, I thought maybe uh, before I uh, get into the next series that we're going to launch, it'd be great to have a, a little story. So um, Simona preached on wonders last week about how we can uh, show the love of God to other people by praying for them and that God loves to bring some breakthrough. And uh, Simone, maybe you want to come and tell uh, your story about a lady at Barclay that uh, you met this week, um, because it's really exciting not just to encourage people, but also celebrate when God does things. So why don't you come and share that story? Um, so I was at Barclays the other day, um, and um, I was speaking to the lady at the desk, and uh, she was struggling with her eye. Her eye was like watering, and clearly an infection in her eye. So I said, like, oh, how, how was your eye? Um, I, I see it's like watering, it's not quite well. She said, yeah, there's an infection in there. So I felt God saying, come on, opening here. <laughs> so I said, do I do, I'm a Christian, I believe God can heal. Do you mind if I pray for you? So he was so touched. He said, like, oh, that, that's so sweet that you want to do that for me. So I prayed for her. Um, I left after that. And then I had to go back uh, two days later to see what, I picked something up. And, um, and then I saw her again. And she came up to me. She said, it's all better. So your prayer helped. I was like, yeah, come on. So I was more surprised than she was, which is very exciting. Um, and then we had a yeah, we had great chat. And then I, I walked out and I felt the Holy Spirit nudging. Come on, like, go a bit further. I like, invited her to church and I walked out and ignored it. I was like, I can't. I need to go back. So I went back, invited her to church. So who knows? But it was, uh, it was a great opportunity. Come on. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's a bold move, praying for somebody at Barclays. I don't think I would have even come into my head. I mean, how exciting is that? So, so encouraging. You're so bold, Simona. I love the way that you're leading us into some courage here. Um, now, what we are going to do now is we're going to look at a new series called Five Ways to Be. And I'm just going to recap you uh, into our vision, where we're going, uh, and talk about what this uh, new series is all about. So, as a church, we would describe ourselves as a community uh, of followers of Jesus who live in three directions. Uh, we live upwardly as we worship God. We live inwardly as we uh, relate together and do community together. And we live outwardly as we try to reach the world with the gospel. Now, what do we do? Uh, we meet in rows, like you can see on a Sunday morning, nice and neat. Uh, and then uh, we'd love to go a little bit further. We also meet in circles throughout the week. Uh, we just talked about life groups. Community is really, really important at Life Church. We love connecting together. I mean, the truth is, in rows you can worship, but you don't really have to know anyone. And it's very, very difficult to follow Jesus if you don't know any other Christians. Uh, there's no opportunity to practice your grace and your patience and your kindness, uh, but also there's no encouragement individually. So it's really important. So we meet in rows on Sundays, circles throughout the week, and then we try to connect the dots wherever we go. So just a story that you've heard as we try to share our faith with other people because it's such good news. We want to celebrate it and share it with everyone. Now, um, as a church, we uh, are heading, uh, our goal is uh, to build a church that is um, uh, culturally diverse. So we live in a city where uh, there's so many cultures. We just love different nations and languages. Um, we love to reach the next generation with the gospel. So uh, every generation needs to hear the gospel. And we're currently in a season where the next generation is getting lost to the church. We need to pour all our effort in reaching the next generation with the good news. Uh, we want to build... A 
church that has significant impact on the city, that makes a difference, that helps to bring the gospel at full display. And then finally, we want to be a resource base for mission, where we don't just see things happen locally, but where we multiply what's happening here uh, to the city around us, to the villages and towns around us in the UK, but also further afield. But the truth is that all of these things are important, yet they are not the vital things that people will remember. You see, what's more important than doing things or setting goals is who you actually are. Now, I can guarantee you, when you come and visit Life Church, and maybe you're here for the first time today, probably the most important thing you're going to remember today is not necessarily what I've just told you, but the people that you meet, the people that we are. Um, the, you might not remember our vision statement. You might not remember where we're heading next and what we can do, but you're definitely going to remember the people that you've met, either positively or negatively, right? Have you ever been to a place that was, looked great, but when you got there, actually really disappointed? Most of that time, most of these times, is the people that make it disappointing. Now, the truth is that you can set some very noble goals, but who you're going to be on the journey is just as important. And Jesus said a lot about mission, about making disciples, about reaching the world, but he also said a lot about how we should be and who we should become on the way. Now, there's some great people that achieve great things, but haven't particularly become inspirational people. So uh, one of those people passed away uh, over the last few years, uh, Steve Jobs. Anybody read the news here? You know Steve Jobs? Yeah, the founder of Apple. Um, he passed away, and uh, he was very well known for his product. Yeah? Anyone ever seen an iPhone? Yeah? Probably most of you have one in your pocket right now. The truth is that he changed the world. His products changed the world. Absolutely. And uh, 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 the reality is, I'm a big Apple fan. I like anything I can get my hands on is great. Um, but the reality is that Steve did not leave many friends behind that really missed him. He became a very difficult person to work with. Uh, if you read the stories, you can see that he achieved a lot, but with great sacrifices. And he really flogged his people through the midnight and all through, I mean, great achievements, but really a community of people that were held together by connection and relationship. That was not what it's like to be part of Steve's team. Now, the truth is that we become, could become the same. We could become a very driven church, very focused on reaching our mission. But the truth is, the way we're going to be together is just as important, if not more important, in reaching the goal. Therefore, we go a little bit slower at Life Church. We could probably do more and quicker. But we want to make sure that we do it all together. So this series is going to talk about five ways to be. We're going to look at who we want to be on the journey. Who, as a, as a church, we're going to be. And uh, we believe that Jesus had a lot to say about this thing. There's many things in the Bible that talked about how to be as a Christian and how to live. And uh, it'd be impossible to cover all of it. But we thought we'd pick five that are like, find foundational for most of the others. And uh, we want to run with these, not just for a preaching series, not just for a few weeks or months, but we want to make these ingrained into our church culture. So when people come and be with us, that's what they will remember. Now, you've got to do some reverse engineering. If you want people to remember what you're like and you want them to remember a positive impact, you've got to think about who you want to become. So what do we want to become? Well, first of all, um, I'll just give you the five now, a little bit of a heads up, and then we're going to pick one of those uh, today. So first of all, we want to be joyful. There's two, come on, yeah, 
There's too many miserable Christians in the world. Would you agree? Christians should be the most happy people on earth because we have got the source of real joy and uh, he gave all for us. Secondly, we want to be people who are courageous. We want to take steps like Simona just said and get out of our comfort zone and make a difference. Thirdly, we want to be people who are real. Nothing's worse than a, than a bunch of courageous, happy phonies, right? We want to be real, authentic. We'll do tough things as well as good things. We want to do all of life. Uh, fourthly, we want to be welcoming. We want to welcome people in regardless from the background they're at, regardless from their walk, where they're at with Jesus. We want everyone to feel welcome and blessed at Life Church. And fifthly, we want to be a people who are generous, People who love to share what they have. Because you could be all of these things. If you're a stingy old Scrooge, it's really going to mess up the other four, isn't it? We want to be generous people who love to lavish and give. Everything that happens in life just comes from the sacrificial giving. I want to commend you on that. You're such a, a generous bunch. But we want to keep that, the core focus, and go even beyond where we're at. So why don't we pick one? And why don't we go and uh, seek out what is joy, joyful? Now, I've got a question for you. Who would you classify as the most joyful person you know? I'm going to give you a few seconds. Who would you classify as the most joyful person you know? Why don't you talk to the person next to you or have a little think about that? Who would you mark as the most joyful person you know? Some of you have got to think really deeply. You're just surrounded by miserable people, probably. Come on, surely one stands out. Right. Have you got that person in your mind? Yeah? All right. I, I think I can top that. I was thinking, who would I think of of the most joyful person I know? And I had to think of Parker. Does anyone know Parker? No? I, 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 thought, I, I think some of you do, but you've forgotten. Let me show you a little video clip of Parker. Here we go. What a beautiful place, what a great night. I have to tell you, being here with all of you in event room C, <laughs> I feel so lucky. To think of all the good times that have happened here, the birthdays, the proms, the mitzvahs, both bar and bot. <laughs> but none of it will compare with tonight. My God, I don't want to forget this moment. It's like I want to take a mental picture of you all. Click. <laughs> I don't think the flash went off. I'm gonna go find the venture. We'll be right back. I'll go with you. Come on. Somewhere there is someone with a tranquilizer gun and a huge butterfly net looking for that man. My God, what a fantastically well lit hallway. Can I um get you something to drink, like a water and Valium? I must say, you know, this apartment—it's—it's. It's, there are no words. Oh, thank God. It's a haven. <laughs> the third floor paradise, a modern day Eden in the midst yeah, of the... Yeah, I know, I know, uh-huh, it gotcha. Oh, yeah. Listen, let's, um, why don't we just, um, sit and relax, you know, just be with each other, quietly. Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. Uh-huh. My God, this is the most comfortable couch I've ever sat in oh. my entire life. <clears throat> is something wrong? Wrong? Really? You know the word wrong? Everything isn't perfect, 
everything isn't magical. Everything isn't a glow with the light of a million fairies. They were just brake lights, Parker. Well, excuse me for putting a good spin on a traffic jam. You don't have to put a good spin on everything. I'm sorry. That's who I am. I'm a positive person. No, I'm a positive person. You are like Santa Claus on Prozac. <laughs> at Disneyland. So what do you want me to do? You want me to be more negative? You want me to be less happy? Much less happy. Huh? Well, then to quote Ross, I better be going. So long. Hey, don't let the best door in the world hit you in the ass on your way out. Isn't this the most incredible fight you've ever had in your entire life? Some of you have seen this, haven't you? You remember Parker now. Here we go. Parker is the most positive person I know. Now, the reality is you're either going to be inspired by Parker or you're going to be totally annoyed. Uh, and uh, I think probably somewhere in between both of those. Uh, when you see Parker, I think we'd all agree that the world could do with some more Parkers, couldn't we? But not too many. <laughs> but not too many. But not too many. You see, when we think about joyfulness, I would hate for our church to be full of Parkers. That would be an ultimate nightmare. If you'd had a bad day, you'd be running out screaming, wouldn't you? So if we weren't truly authentic as well as joyful, I think we'd have a difficult combination on our hands. But if we can be real and we can find a deep sense of joy, then we're onto something. And the truth is we live in a nation, uh, and uh, I think the Dutch are not much better, uh, that are not always very good at expressing joy. Would you agree? And Christians probably top them all. Yeah? There is something about our uh, way of portraying which we find difficult. I mean, come to church, we all suddenly become very self-conscious, isn't it? I mean, deep introspective worship is really easy, isn't it? But to let ourselves go and raise our voices and even maybe clap and like, if you're really bold, like slightly twist your hips with a little movement, I mean, that gets risky, doesn't it? We live in England, right? We can't be too excited about anything. Now, the truth is that that is a bit of a cultural stronghold because the reality is that God is the most joyful person you will have ever met. He is the most joyful being in the universe. He's the source of all joy. And what happens when we come and worship on a Sunday morning is that we plug ourselves into that source of joy and it's got to do something with you. It's got to do something with you. When you plug into that source of joy, something is going to happen. And if you're not feeling it, we might not be fully connected. We might not be fully plugged in. You see, when God thinks of you, he is dancing with joy. It says in Zephaniah in the Bible. He's dancing with joy, with shouts of joy. He's singing over you. And if he's singing over us, then when we sing over him, there is a culmination of joy that happens in that moment. Now, that's a sense of joy that it doesn't, it doesn't always mean that, that you're happy and that you're bouncing. Trust me, when my alarm clock hit this morning, I've been suffering with a cold for six weeks. Uh, I've been packing boxes for the last four weeks because we're moving house. I did not feel it. I didn't feel it. But the truth is, it's there. The source of all joy has not changed, and it's us. Now, 
Most of us live only 15 minutes away from discouragement. Did you know that? If I'm going to be running over this service, you already be discouraged before it's ended. Yeah? Most of us live only a short way away from discouragement. It's not very difficult to be discouraged. Monday morning's about to come tomorrow, guys. It's hard not to be discouraged at Monday morning sometimes. Now, I, I've, I've, I regularly get discouraged. You? Yeah, there's a fight going on for our joy. And the reality is that um, uh, discouragement is, is just around the corner for all of us, most of us, for some more consistently. Now, sometimes there can be people. People can be really discouraging, can't they? Come on, wake up. People can be really discouraging sometimes. Uh, but most of the time, I don't need anyone else to discourage me. My own lack of ability already discourages me before I've met anyone else. Do you agree with that? I'm so often disappointed with my own lack of ability that I can get discouraged all by myself in a room with no one else around. <laughs> it's a miracle, isn't it? It's true. Now, we've we, we got to understand that that battle for discouragement is a spiritual battle. Because God is the source of all joy. He's got an enemy. His name is Satan. And Satan hates anything that brings joy. Do you know Why? Because he was an angel, he was one of the most prominent angels in heaven, being this close to the true source of joy of the whole universe. And then he rebelled against God and he was expelled from God's presence. Which means that he is living in a world where there is no joy. Because God is the only source of joy, it means that he is utterly without joy. And therefore he makes his effort to try and rob anyone of joy he can find. The only thing he finds a bit of joy in is robbing other people's joy. And even that doesn't last. You see, there's a spiritual battle going on that Satan would like everyone to be as miserable as he is. Because he has been disconnected from the source of true joy. Now, there is a strange dynamic that goes on in, 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 in this life on a spiritual level. is where God allows some of that discouragement in our lives. Why does God allow some of this discouragement in our lives? Because he wants us to find victory. Now, victory isn't Parker-like victory, where we just walk around on a, a, a buzz of cloud all day and pretend like nothing's ever wrong. That's not the kind of victory he's wanting to bring us to. What he wants to bring us to is he wants us to find joy even in the midst of discouragement. He wants us to find joy that is rooted so deep that it cannot be robbed by anyone or anything that will happen to you. Would you like some of that joy? Wouldn't you like some of that joy that could never be robbed by anything? Well, you could be sitting in a room all by yourself and no one, nothing in your mind can rob you of that joy. No one around you can rob you of that joy. I would love some of that joy, wouldn't you? It's freely available. But in order for us to receive it, we need to learn how to trust God. And we need to start uh, for our minds to be renewed according to his mind. To start thinking like God does. Now, it's very clear in scripture that there is a lot of people that find discouragement. And yet, in the midst of discouragement, they find joy. Now, one of those people was uh, Habakkuk. Great name, isn't it? Habakkuk. If ever you get a son, I'll leave it up to you. 
Um, I've got three doors to say. We thought we wouldn't do that to them. But um, Habakkuk 3, verse 16. So Habakkuk, um, uh, the nation of Israel is going through a really, really difficult time. And he receives difficult news from God. It's going to get harder. Now, who would get happy by that news? I wouldn't. But Habakkuk 3, verse 16 says this. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. That's what bad news does to you, isn't it? You'd agree with that? Yet, he says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Just imagine for a moment if you live in an agricultural uh, society. Like, this is not just a bad day. This is like economic ruin. It says, verse 18, Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk is saying, even if the worst case scenario is going to happen, I'm going to rejoice in my Lord. Are you able to say that? Would you be able to pray, Oh Lord, even if there's going to be no promotion this week, even if my whole family thinks I'm crazy and no one ever listens to me, I get demoted on Tuesday, my car's going to break down, I will have nothing to eat but dry bread and a bit of water this week, and I'm going to get ill and uh, all my friends uh, leave me, I'm going to rejoice. Would you be able to pray that now? No, I don't think I could. What made Habakkuk able to pray that? He didn't just do a Parker spin on the whole thing, where he just like, I don't mind about calamity, I'm going to party. That's not what he's doing. He's putting his trust in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. You see, it's possible for us to go through life everything going wrong, to be deeply impacted so that your heart's pounding, your lips are quivering, your bones are aching and your legs are trembling and still find a deep joy with God. Now, I'm after that, but how? How? How do we get there? Well, let me jump over to another giant, David. You might have heard of David before, one of the famous kings in the Old Testament. David was promised that he would become the mighty king of Israel. But before he got there, there was a lot of discouragement that came his way. You see, first, everything seemed to be going well. He defeated Goliath, the giant, and he made instant promotion to become commander of the army. He married uh, the daughter of the king, and you think, wow, like that word that I received is coming true. It's happening. I can see it. And then everything went wrong. You see, Saul, the king then, gets jealous and uh, he, he's after David and he has to flee. He has to leave the army that he was leading. Uh, that was a very prestigious army. Then he has to leave his wife that he married. He's got to leave his place and he's got to go through to the wilderness. Now, I don't know what the wilderness looked like, but it wasn't a three-star hotel. It was, it was a bad place to be. And then it says he was in the wilderness. And then the people that were expelled from the king's presence, all the misfits came to him. He built an army of misfits. 
Now, imagine being the commander of Israel's army. You've been expelled from your position. You go through to the wilderness, and then what you get is like not a B army, not a C army, not a D. You get, you get a Z army. Right? These are the people that no one wants to work with. These are the people that are annoying, that are rebellious, that are, are like they've done bad things. They've been expelled for a reason. And they all gather around him. So he surrounded himself with his misfit army, and these are not nice guys. And yet he learns how to lead them before he can lead a nation. He has to leave his country. He goes and lives with the Philistines, the, the, the enemies of the Israelites. And when he lives there, he, he kind of goes on raiding parties uh, against the enemies of Israel and kind of pretends that he's with the Philistines, but he's not. And then one day they're going to go up uh, to, uh, to fight Israel and uh, David's going to come with them. And then he even gets rejected by the Philistines. I mean, you know, you've got a really bad day when even your enemies reject you, right? He's got to go back home, but it's about to get worse. When he comes home, he finds out that his whole camp is looted. All the treasures are gone. All the women are gone. All the children are gone. Like He comes home and his house is no longer there. Imagine you coming home after this service. You come home, like it's burned to the ground and everyone died. Oh, think about a bad day. That's a bad day, isn't it? And then it gets worse. You feeling encouraged already? His men that are with him that came to fight are now so angry with David, they're about to pick up stones to kill him. This misfit army that he has brought to some sort of success is now turning on him and about to kill him. Now, what would you do in that moment in time? Run, wouldn't you? You would run. I don't know what I would do, but I would not stay in that place. But David does something else altogether. It says in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, And David was greatly distressed. Duh. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Amen. Now there's a key that unlocks this whole situation. David's got nowhere to go, got nothing to put his hope on. Everything's against him. And yet in the midst of that place, he finds joy. He finds strength. And then he goes back to his men and he is able to look past their betrayal and he says, let's go and get our families back. He then leads them to go and get the families back and they conquer everything back. Like nothing's gone. All the possessions get restored and all the women and all the children get restored. And then he comes back and then he finds out that the Philistines who were out to fight Israel, that he wasn't allowed to go and join, have defeated Israel and killed Saul. And at that moment in time, the door goes open and all the promises from the past are about to come true. That was the entrance in which David was about to become king. And this was the final test for David. The final test. As he came through with nothing, he was now fit to reign. Now, did God send all this stuff to him? No. God does not send bad stuff to us. But he does use bad things. You see, there is something very, very powerful at play here. You see, Satan is about to crowd into David and he wants to discourage him to the bone. Discourage him so much that he will run a mile for becoming the greatest king in history. And yet at that moment in time, when he comes to the place of utter despair, when Satan goes like, 
Yes, I've done everything to squeeze the life out of him. He finds joy. And Satan gets defeated. He is utterly powerless. And that was Satan destined for destruction. God turned around and became the very foundation upon which David was to stand to become a new king. You see, God destined David for victory. What Satan brought for destruction, God used for victory. And then that victory became the very foundation for David. Now, the, the, the very ground that Satan had planned to bury David in became the ground of sacrifice and worship for David. It became the door to a new season. There is something very powerful at play here. Now, I wonder what you would do after a bad day. Well, what do you tend to do after a bad day? What do you, where do you go? Let's be real for a moment. If I come home and I've had a bad day, I do not feel like playing with my kids. I do not feel like doing silly dances. No, I want some time alone. I want some time alone. And uh, I, I probably turn to my great dear friend in time of trouble. My Amazon Prime account. <laughs> and I watch something to distract myself because I want to get away from it all. And I probably want something to make me feel better. Something to eat. Something to drink. Probably something with alcohol to numb the pain. Right? Let's be real for a moment. Glass of red wine solves all your problems, doesn't it? That's where I turn if things go wrong. I bet you have your things to which you turn. Now the truth is, it works. Doesn't it? Otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. But only for a little while. And then it runs out. You've run through that series. Oh no, you've got to find something else to watch. The bottle is empty. Where do I go now? See, it doesn't last. The world is full of joys. Like real joys, like great things. We can get real joy from. But it doesn't last. And that is the problem with joy. It always runs out. If you find it in the things around you. Now what God wants to bring is something that will last. And uh, George Muller... Uh, a, a great inspiration. Uh, if you want to know a bit more about him, you can uh, Google him online. Uh, but he said this, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about is not so much about how I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. By means of the word of God, whilst meditating on it, my heart might brought into experiential communion with the Lord. Gosh, if I could write like he did. Experiential communion, that means real friendship and fellowship with God. And with rare exceptions, by breakfast time, I will find myself in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. Do you desire that? You know when you've met someone who lives this. And you know when you've met someone who doesn't live this. Someone who does not live with true joy on the inside, with every little bump and squeeze, hurt will come out. But if you bump or squeeze somebody who's truly joyful, there's more joy coming out. Now what comes out of you when you get squeezed and bumped? Ow. That hurts to ask that question, isn't it? I know what comes out sometimes and it's not pretty. 
I've got to learn how to find my deep-rooted joy. It says in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And I think that's the key for us. You've got to let it. The joy of the Lord is there, but you've got to let it be your strength. And how do you let it be your strength? Well, I found a couple of things that really helped me. I think the first one is thanksgiving. Learning to give thanks to God in every circumstance. Now, there's a wonderful story about Corrie ten Boom, uh, our true Dutch hero in the Second World War who rescued many uh, Jews and ended up in a concentration camp. And in their camp, everyone was packed together, stacked high, and they are placed in barracks that are infested with fleas. Fleas everywhere. And I just want to read you something uh, from that. Fleas! Corey cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with the... How, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us, Betsy said matter-of-factly. It took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. Corey, Betsy then exclaimed excitedly, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? What did we read? Corey checked to make sure no guards were nearby, then drew from her pouch a small Bible that she managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was in First Thessalonians, she said, finding the passage in the feeble light. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy interrupted. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do now. We can start right here now to thank God for every single thing about these barracks. Carrie's, Corey stared at her incredulously, then around at the dark, foul-smelling room. Such as? she inquired. Well, such as being assigned here together. Corey bit her lip. Oh yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. Corey looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered there. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we are packed so close, there will be more people to hear. She looked at her sister expectantly and prodded Corey. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jam-crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds, Lord. Thank you, Betsy continued serenely, for the fleas and... That was too much for Corey. She cut in on her sister. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for fleas. Well, give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So they stood between the stacks of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. Though on occasion, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that rather than needing to go out and work duty every day, she was permitted to remain in barracks to knit some socks together with other seriously ill prisoners. She was lightning fast knitter and usually had her daily quota completely comp um, finished by noon. As a result, she had hours each day uh, she could spend moving from platform to platform, reading scripture to fellow prisoners. She was able to do this undetected as the guards never seemed to venture into their barracks. One evening when Corey arrived back at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in this big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where they were sleeping. 
We'll find out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes. So we asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And do you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her face as she explained, because of the fleas. <laughs> That's what she said. This place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind raced back to their first hour in the barracks. She remembered Betsy bowing her head and thanking God for creatures that Corey could see no use for. Wow. Talking about a bad day in a concentration camp away from dignity of life. Giving thanks in all circumstances. I think I would be like Corey, wouldn't you? Thanking God for fleas? What? You out of your mind? And yet, these fleas created the freedom these women needed to witness to one another. You see, there is something about thanking God in every circumstance that has real power. Now, we don't have to do the Parker spin where we kind of try to do a positive twist onto everything. And uh, let, let, hear me out. I don't think we should thank God for bad things. Um, it, it, like, uh, he, he's not the one who sends it to us. I mean, but we can give thanks even in the midst of bad things if we let our minds be focused on what good God could come out and uh, bring out of this. And that is really tough, isn't it? Most of us are much more focused on what God is not doing than looking at what God is doing. And therefore, we go around miserable. You see, if we start to be grateful about the things that God is doing, we'll start to get hold of so much more. Simone and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, we've lived in our current house for four years, and, and we weren't really happy with the place. We kind of wanted to be somewhere else. And I think um, we, we kind of noticed it by the way that we cared for the house a little bit. And uh, we, we, we just sat on the sofa, and we repented, saying, God, we're so sorry for being focused on what you didn't do rather than what you did do. This has become a great place of memories and people that we've been able to reach with the gospel. Forgive us for not being thankful. And um, um, I, I, I bet you're the same. There will be things in your life that you thought, for me to be truly joyful, if I could just whiz my little thing around and change one thing, it will be that. The truth is like you can change everything in your life, zap it all. But if your joy is not found in the source of all joy, you're never going to find true joy. It's not going to last. Even if it might last this lifetime, it will certainly not last beyond this lifetime. And God wants you to find a place of true joy. I think the second thing I've found is worship. You see, when you go through really bad circumstances, it offers you an opportunity that's unlike anything else. Worship as a sacrifice. You see, it's easy to come here and worship when everything's going great and you're praising God. You've had that promotion and you're in a great relationship and you've got children who sleep eight hours a night every day. And, um, it's, a great, it's easy, isn't it? But when life goes wrong and you're in a service and you need to find your heart and bring your heart to worship, it's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. Now, that's what's a sacrifice. Yeah. A sacrifice costs you something. And do you know what's most sweet to God? Worship that costs you something. Sacrifice. You see, there's a story in the New Testament about Mary who comes and um, she, she comes and anoints Jesus' feet with pure nard, very expensive oil. And she does it lavishly. And she pours it out. And it says that this nard cost her a year's wages. Like pretty much everything she had, probably. It cost her everything. And people were indignant about the fact that she did. 
But when she attended to Jesus and she anointed him, she poured out something that cost it. You see, when we are in places and situations where we don't feel like worship, I don't know about, about you, but I, I usually kind of go, well, I don't want to be hypocritical. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to watch other people worship. In fact, maybe I just don't go at all because, no, I don't want to be a hypocrite, like feeling rubbish and then pretending to be worshipping. Do you like that? I mean, guys, that is a lie. There is nothing more hypocritical than a Christian living a joyless life. And sometimes we've got to bring ourselves to joy, to let your body and your mind do something that you don't feel like in order to put yourself in a place where your worship costs you something to receive real joy. You know, there is something about singing your heart into worship until it worships. If you're going to sit around feeling miserable until you do, it's never going to happen. And there is something about clapping your hands and even dancing to shake off the shackles of even society and other things just to learn how to be in God's presence. It says in the Psalms, clap your hands, shout with joy. If God's dancing over us, then surely we could be dancing over him, couldn't we? And we need to find some more freedom in that as a church. Me personally. And I really, I, I, I've been in places over the last year where I've just worshipped until I found my heart willing to worship. And that's okay, my friends. But don't give up. Don't sit back. Bring your body into physical obedience so you can find spiritual breakthrough. Sometimes you've got to do something in order to, to receive something. Sometimes right actions lead to right thinking and right emotions. Now, uh, you've you got to hear me out. You've got to keep this in balance. Uh, it's, it, it, it doesn't always like suddenly just like happen like that. But the truth is that we partner with God. And as we connect, it's like plugging yourself into the power socket. If you connect, it's there. The joy is going to be there. Regardless of the circumstances. And I've had moments where I've been worshipping and I come out of bed and it's like a, a terrible day. Everything goes wrong. And I'm a bit panicky. I'm worried. And I say, okay, God, I'm, I'm just going to remove myself from this situation. Not by watching Prime, but by going to worship you. And then I spend a couple of hours just worshipping God, just leaving the stuff for a moment, just worshipping God. And then in that time, something happens. I can't quite explain. But it says in Psalms that God is the lifter of our heads, isn't it? And it's like my head's being lifted above my circumstances. And I see God and I start to get hold of who God is in that circumstance. And then when I finish worship, like nothing's changed. The circumstances are still there. But something in me has changed. And all of a sudden, I find joy. And I find peace and calmness even in the midst of those circumstances. And that is available for all of us. Do you desire that joy? That didn't sound quite so eager. Do you desire that joy? There is something about pursuing joy. Making joy your ultimate pursuit in Jesus that he wants to come uh, through for us. You see, it's, 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 that it's, it's God's joy over us. That we receive. You see, it's a mutual thing. As we find our joy in Him, He finds joy in us. Can you understand God finding joy in us? It says, it says in uh, um, Hebrews 12, verse 2, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning it of shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when it was darkness all around, like the very first day on earth, when there was nothing to cheer about, he was dying on the cross, being tortured, abused, humiliated, hanging naked. There was no Parker moment at that moment in time. There was no way to take any of that positively. For the joy set before him, he endured all suffering so we could become the redeemed. We are God's joy. We were in Jesus' mind when he hung onto the cross and he was thinking of us with joy when he gave his life. And that, my friends, is the joy that he wants us to find. As he thought of us in his darkest moment when he gave everything, he wants us to find him in our darkest moment when there is no Parker happiness around. He wants to be your joy. Why? Because he's some sort of jealous God who needs lots of attention? No, because he is the ultimate source of joy and he knows that without him there is no real joy. That's why he's jealous for you to find joy in him, in him, in him. Now, all we need to do is we need to receive it. You see, in Romans 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why don't we end there and just spend a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to come and bring us joy. Would you like to stand with me? Thank you, Jesus, that we were in your minds, in your darkest hour. We were the joy that was set before you. We were the ones, the, the, the objects of your affection. We were the ones who were to receive your joy. And Lord, here we want to come. Lord, we pray that you will come and make a, a, a joy revolution happen in our midst, Lord Father, in our very hearts. Lord, that on Monday morning we can find lasting, true joy. Lord, that tomorrow morning, Lord, we can find joy that goes beyond a good day at work, that goes beyond a good moment, that goes beyond distraction. Lord, we pray that you will come and birth a deep desire for joy, Lord. There where we've settled for joy, Lord, uh, we, we ask your forgiveness, Lord. I ask your forgiveness for trying to find joy in a bit of comfort eating or a bit of um, uh, TV, Lord Father. I want you to become the object of my joy. Lord, forgive me when I've settled for less. Lord, I don't want to be a kid building um, castles in the mud, Lord, when there's a holiday at the sea available. Lord, I want to pray that you'll come and bring a joy revolution in our hearts and in our midst. And Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you right now. If you've been suffering uh, with, with depression or discouragement over the last uh, few weeks or months, can I just ask you to lift your hands just as a token before God and let's just receive receive from God. If you want more joy, let's receive. Just raise your hands and say, God, here I am. I want more of you. Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, I pray that you will come and fill us with joy this morning. I pray for clouds to be broken through, even depressions to be lifted right now in this place, Lord. I pray that you will come and conform our thinking, Lord. Change our thinking, Lord, so we can understand your true love. Lord, we pray that you will come and birth joy and happiness through us in other people's lives, Lord, where we become a source of joy to those around. Lord, Father, we pray that we will be joyful people. When people encounter us, to say, wow, 
They've got something that I want. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll make us joy carriers, joy ambassadors in this world. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.